Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Sam, if we haven't met yet. I'm the high school pastor here at Friendship, and it's my pleasure to get to do the last of this series that we've been going through called When God Says Jump. Uh, and this series has been all about looking at the journey of Abraham. Uh, Abraham, from the very beginning, has been asked by God to trust him, to jump, right? He leaves Ur, and we see him journey, trusting God every step of the way, even when he doesn't know what the next step is. And then God says that he has a son, even though they are much too old to be having kids, and yet God still provides. And this over and over again, we see these God asking him to trust him, and to trust him, and to trust him. And Abraham does a good job some of the times, and, and other times we learn from his mistakes. But this morning, we're going to look at what I believe is the most difficult thing that God asks of Abraham. So if you have a Bible, uh, and I hope that you do, uh, I'd encourage you to pull it out. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 22 uh, for most, well, all of uh, our time this morning. So I'd encourage you uh, to look it up on your phone or pull it out in your Bible uh, either way. Uh, as you do that, let me just pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, I just ask that in this time that we would hear from you. God, help me to get out of the way, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak. I pray that we would see from your word uh, truth about who you are, that we might know you more, and that we might grow closer to you, and also that we might look more like you. I pray, Lord, that if there's things that you want to challenge us with, help us to hear that and to wrestle with it and to do something about it. And if there's things you want to encourage us with, help us to hear that and to believe that truth. God, I believe that you are calling all of us in one way or another to trust you with more of us. So I pray that we'd do that this, this morning and, and this week as we go from here. We love you and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's go, let's jump right in to Genesis 22. The first two verses say this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, in which I shall tell you. I'm going to stop there for a second. So Abraham, like I said, has been asked by God to trust him over and over and over again in his life. But this, by far, has to be the most difficult ask that God has of Abraham to take his son and to go and offer him as a sacrifice. So for just a minute, if it helps, you can close your eyes. You don't have to. But I want you to just put yourself into Abraham's shoes for just a minute and think. If you're a parent, this might be a little bit easier for you to put yourself into his shoes but to imagine what would it be like if God asked you to sacrifice the one that you loved most, to sacrifice one of your kids. Because Abraham receives this call, and then he has to do something with it. So for just a minute, what would you feel? What would you be thinking? Now let me ask you this. When God asks you to jump, do you jump? To step out in faith, how do you respond? Or, 
maybe a harder question. What's the hardest thing that God has ever asked you to trust him with? For Abraham, I believe this was the hardest thing, to trust God with Isaac. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Abraham's being asked here to trust God, to jump. But he's also being asked a very specific question, I think, that God is saying, who do you love more, Abraham? Isaac or me? We see a similar thing in the New Testament, Jesus with the rich young ruler, where he, he goes, he's got all these things, he's doing all these things right, and he says, well, how can I have eternal life? And he says, God, Jesus says to him, go and give, give your money away and follow me. And the difference between Abraham and the rich young ruler is their response. The rich young ruler, say that five times fast, he walks away sad because what he loved most, his money and the things that it gave him, was just too much of an ask. And God's asking of Abraham a similar question. Who do you love most? Who will you put first? So the question that we should be milling in our mind throughout this uh, morning is this. How do we respond when God calls us to do something? Even if that something is big or difficult or confusing. Because for Abraham, this was all three. To, to, to sacrifice my son, who I love, that is a big, difficult, and confusing ask that God has for him. It's big and it's difficult in very clear ways because giving up your son, obviously, that is a huge ask. But it's also confusing because God has promised him that through Isaac, all these blessings and promises that, he's, that, that by God has said, by Isaac, will, you, will I make a great nation of you? And now you're asking me to sacrifice? So are you asking me to, to give all of that back to you? This is a big, difficult, and confusing, tough ask that God has and so how do we respond? And I think that there's, there's two ways that we can respond. And one is the way of the world, of our culture, and one is the way of the Lord. And if we look at what I mean by this, at the way that our culture says that we should live. Well, one, the value system of our culture is the top thing that we should be putting at first is our happiness, comfort, me. Uh, whatever serves me best, that's what I should pursue. If it makes me happy, and so everything should serve that, should serve my happiness, my comfort. The way that God calls us to live, God's ultimate value is not your happiness. Above your happiness, God wants for you to be holy, to be like him. Now, I'm not saying that God is like against your happiness. He's not anti-happy. That's not how that works. But more important than you being happy or comfortable, God wants you to be holy. And so as we pursue him, we'll find that true joy, true comfort lies in being with him. Because here's the reality of life, which most probably all of you know, is that life is difficult. 
It is, there are big things, there are difficult things, there are confusing things that are going to be thrown our way. And so if I'm pursuing me, 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 and what I want and the happiness, then when tough things come, how do I respond? But true joy, true comfort comes that I am in the arms of Christ. And I can hold tight to him. But it requires a big ask. We, we looked at this a few sermon series ago when Jesus uh, says, you have to, to follow him. You have to hate your father and mother. You have to hate even your own life. You have to take up your cross and follow him. That's not a low cost. That is a big ask to give everything to follow him. But it is worth it because in return we get God, a relationship, a real relationship with him. And so that's our choice. Now, a little bit ago, I asked you the question, what is the biggest or hardest thing that God's ever asked you to trust him with? And so I want to share a story of one of the hardest things or biggest things that I feel like God's asked me to trust him with. Uh, and that's my dream for marriage slash family. Uh, from when I was in junior high, high school, I loved the idea of being married. I really wanted to be married. I wanted a wife. That sounded awesome. Um, and someday a family as well. And as I got older, at later high school into college, that dream started to kind of materialize in a way where I could see it as something that's a reality. I, I could, this could actually be true. And I was excited to step into that blessing that God would have for me whenever that day came. And I ended up uh, dating a girl at the end of high school into the beginning of college. And I thought that God was answering that dream that he had put on my heart, this prayer that I had to be married. And some of you know my story, and so I'm not going to share all the details. Just to say this, that at, I proposed, we got engaged, and through that engagement process, I believe that God was asking me to trust him. Just like God asked Abraham to lay Isaac at the altar at his feet and to trust him with the thing he loved most, I was in this position where I believed God was saying, you got to trust me with this relationship. And are you willing to walk away? So, long story short, lots of details that I won't mention, but long story short is, a week before the wedding, I called it off and trusted God with it. And now, here's the thing. That was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, probably. Uh, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And it was not an easy decision. But, but let me be honest with you. What I thought was happening... I thought God was asking me to lay it at his feet and he was going to give it back. Maybe a month later, six months later, whatever. But I believe that God had for me this girl and to be married. But I remember praying, God, I want to trust you with it. And I pray, that, I pray that it's with her and that you'll give that back to me. But even if you don't, I trust you. Well, fast forward six months and uh, the answer was no was to let that go completely. And that was difficult and confusing, and I didn't understand, but I'll say this. In the midst of that process, God was so near to me in that time, and he took me on some crazy adventures. I went to Israel. There's a whole lot of story in the midst of this. But just to say this, that God moved in the midst of a difficult and confusing and a hard ask. And still, this dream that I had to be married was not answered. But I was near 
to God, and he was working in me. He was helping me to grow in ways that I didn't even know to ask before because I wasn't really seeking him. Here's the thing that I was doing, which I still struggle with from time to time. Maybe you will agree with this. I was struggling with, God, here's my plans. Bless them. Instead of, God, what is your plan for my life? Help me to follow that. And so that was the moment not that I've done this perfectly, but that was the moment where I started going, okay, God, I see that my life has been all about me and asking you to just bless the things that, that, that I want. I want to follow what you want for me. And four years later, I met a girl, and I was like, I think this is it. She loves Jesus. It's going great. We're serving together. I think this is what God has. And then about six months into that, both of us kind of came to each other and said, I think God might be asking us to, to, like, lay this at his feet. And so we took a week and we prayed and we came back together and said, I think we need to let this go. Which made no sense, right? She loves Jesus, check. She wants to serve and she likes, you know, like all this stuff, we're in the church together, we're doing these things, why does this not? But, okay, God, I'll trust you. A week later, I met my wife, Amy. But the funny part is, I remember this. I remember meeting her. I saw her, and I was like, oh, she's cute. And then I was like, Sam, don't, okay. You literally just got out of a relationship. God was asking you to trust him. Don't just jump into the next girl you meet. Like, don't do that. And so we became friends. Three years later, I asked her on a date. She probably would have preferred that be a little bit quicker than that. But I'll say this. We got to build this friendship, and, this, and out of that came the answer to my prayer, a marriage. And I am so thankful for the process and the, uh, yeah, the, the process that I had to go through to become the kind of man that was at least a little bit better of a husband going into it. And I am so thankful for the wife that God brought to me. Now, the second part, I mentioned that dream was to be a husband, but not just a husband, but a father. And Amy and I both were excited to start a family, and so after a little bit, we started trying. But we thought it was going to be easy. But then a month went by, and two months went by, and six months went by, and a year went by, and... We are left in this place, if anyone's ever been here before, where each month gets harder and harder. Why is this not, is there something, what's going on? And it's confusing and it's difficult. And a year and a half in, we got to this place where we were like, okay, maybe God doesn't have this for us. Or maybe it's adoption, I don't know. But we prayed a prayer at that point that we hadn't prayed. We've been praying, God, please bring us a child, bring us a kid Finally, we prayed a prayer of, all right, God, whatever you want. And the next month, we found out we were pregnant. And now we have a five-month-old. If you haven't met her, Tally, she's so cute. Um, so, God is so good. And his answers aren't always what we think. I thought that I had my whole life figured out at 21, and it looks radically different now, but I am so thankful that I am here and that I have Amy and Tally and God is so good. 
But to get to here, had to go through big, difficult, confusing times. And that's just one area of life. And so, I want to jump back and look at Abraham. How does Abraham respond? Because he, remember, he was asked a very big and difficult thing to sacrifice his son. So how does Abraham respond? Verse 3. Abraham rose early in the morning. Hold on, stop there for a second. Okay. Um, if you were just told, I need you to go and sacrifice your son, what do you do first? I don't know about you, but I might be doing some bartering. God, wait, what about, um, I might be in some kind of debate. I might be asking him why. I might, I don't know, procrastinate or at least sleep in. Not Abraham. He gets up early. He immediately jumps into obedience. It's the biggest, most difficult thing that he's being asked to do, and yet what's the f- he just immediately, the next day, gets up and starts to follow in obedience. Now, Abraham hasn't always been the best example, but this is a beautiful example of what faith and following in obedience looks like. I don't have all the answers. I don't understand all the things, but what I do know is God called, I go. So let's keep going. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and, <clears throat> and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. I want to point out one thing and then we'll, we'll keep moving. Notice that this is a three-day journey. Abraham is called by God to sacrifice his son, and it's not okay, and they go and do it right then. For three days, Abraham is journeying with his son, and every day, there's not a whole lot to do. You're just making your way to the place where you have to follow through with what God has called you to do, and he has to think through and dwell on, and, and, and I would think, moment by moment, give anxiety and difficulty and wrestling to the Lord. And you pack up your stuff, and you go, and you get to the place, and you sleep, and you wake up again, and again, you have to, you're reminded of what you're doing and where you're going. It, this is not, this might be a couple verses for us, this is a journey for Abraham. Another word that stands out to me from this passage is this word worship. See, God calls Abraham to offer this burnt sacrifice, which means this is an act of worship that God is asking Abraham to do. And Abraham sees it as an act of worship. He sees, he says that they, that him and Isaac need to go to worship and then we'll come again. Abraham sees this up as an opportunity to worship. And I just want to like, just kind of pull that out for a second and say, can we do that? when we go through hard times, when, when I have a dream, this big thing, the thing I love most, are we willing to set it on an altar as, a, as an offering, as an act of worship? And as, as I'm going through something difficult, 
And some of us in here are going through difficult things. Can I walk in that as an act of worship? What does that even look like? That is so hard. But if we do, you will find yourself becoming more and more like Jesus, who we'll talk about in a second, went through big, difficult things for us. And in trials and in persecution, we become more like Christ. Another word that stands out to me is faith. Now, uh, if you would like, you can, you can turn here, but I also have it on the screen. Hebrews 11, this chapter of Hebrews 11 is kind of known as the Hall of Faith, right? There's a bunch of examples throughout the Old Testament of people who have shown great faith. And Abraham actually gets a couple of mentions, but this particular story that we're looking at is talked about in verses 17 through 19. It says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So one word in verse 19 that I find really interesting is this word considered, or depending on your translation, it might say uh, concluded. Uh, there's the Greek word up there. I don't speak Greek. Lagizmai. Um, Ask Kenny when he gets back. He'll tell you. All right. But this word considered, I can say it in English pretty good, so I'm going to stick with that. Considered is to compute, to calculate, to take into account. Abraham calculates. His faith is not a blind leap at nothing. Abraham jumps, he trusts the Lord because he's calculated. What is he, what is he calculating? He's remembering who God is and what God's done. He thinks back in his life how God called him out of Ur to a, a land he doesn't even know yet, and every step of the way he's been faithful to lead him and to guide him and to get him through all the different things that we've been seeing throughout this whole series. He takes step after step, and over and over again we see that God is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. Then God says, you're going to have a son. And he's like, ah, old wife, old, not going to work. God's like, I can do it. They trust. And what happens? They have a son. And now God says, I need you to sacrifice Isaac. And so he calculates. But notice what he, what he calculates. He considers that God was able even to raise him from the dead. He doesn't know what God's got planned, but he does know this. God's been faithful to everything that he said, and God said, Isaac is the son of promise, who the line is going to come through. So if God says that, and then God says sacrifice him, then he's going to do something crazy because it's going to be through Isaac. And so if I have to sacrifice him, okay, then maybe he raises him from the dead? I don't know, but he knows that God's faithful. Side note, think about this. If he thinks that God's going to do it by raising him from the dead, what does that mean Abraham has to do? But Abraham believes God. He calculates who God is, 
what he's done, the experiences in his own life that he's seen the faithfulness of God, and he says, God is faithful. And we see this in the passage itself. In verse 5, he says, I and the boy, we're going to go, and we're going to come back. He doesn't say, me and Isaac, we're going, I'll come back. Isaac, right? He doesn't say that. He says, we're going to go, and we're going to come back. He also says this. Let's keep going in verse 6 through 8. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. Stop for just a second. Um, So they have this, the wood, Isaac's carrying that. Did you ever think just for a second about the weight? He has this fire and this knife for a burnt offering. As he walks up the mountain with his son, the weight of that knife and what its purpose is, the weight of holding that fire. Just think about it. What is Abraham experiencing in the midst of this as they walk step by step up this mountain and they get ever closer to what God has asked him to do? So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but there is, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they both went, uh, so they went, both of them together. We see again Abraham's faith that God's going to do something. He tells Isaac, and I believe that he believes this. I don't think he's lying to his son. I think that he believes God's going to provide a lamb, Isaac. And then, notice this line. There might be even more significance to it than this, but the last line is repeated, right? So they went, both of them together. We see that in verse 8. We also see it in verse 6. I think it shows us faith, first in verse 6 of Abraham, that him and Isaac, they're going together. He's in faith what God has said. And then we see the faith of Isaac in verse 8, that he trusts his father and God through what his father is saying. And they both of them go together. He is not dragging Isaac up the hill. They are walking up in faith together. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. And I want to stop there because whatever hope Abraham had to this point that God was going to provide a lamb, do something crazy, he's walking up, there's no lamb. They're building the altar, there's no lamb. He binds his son, there's no lamb. And so Abraham takes the knife to follow through in obedience with the call, the big, difficult, confusing call to sacrifice. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, And he said, here I am. 
And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God is faithful. God will come through. And God comes through in a way that Abraham probably didn't see coming. And God blesses obedience. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, saying, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God blesses obedience. Now, it's not always this specific in this instant where God immediately jumps in with, here's the blessing as he gives to Abraham. However, God will bless those who are obedient to him, who are willing to at the altar offer everything, even the thing that they love most. I want to go back a couple of verses, though, because there's something in this passage that we just can't miss. It says, On this bount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is a beautiful story of God's faithfulness to Abraham. But it's more than that. It's also a beautiful story of Abraham's faith in God. But it's more than that. It also paints a picture of something greater. It points towards the cross. I want to ask if you maybe notice, there's some similarities between Isaac and Jesus. I just listed a couple that I find interesting. First, Both are promised long before they are born. Both are named before their birth. Both have a miraculous birth. Both are the only son. Jesus is the only son of the living God, and Isaac is the only son of promise for Abraham. There's this third day that for Abraham, he's told that Isaac is going to be sacrificed, and for three days, he is as good as dead until he is given back. Jesus literally died for you and on the third day raised again. Both Isaac and Jesus carried the wood for the sacrifice. Isaac for the altar, Jesus carries the cross. And both walked up the same mountain. Now, Mountain Imeril, it's it's debated whether this spot is the spot of the temple or the spot where Jesus ultimately on Uh, on the cross, but same area, that this is the space that God uses in the same area to show this picture through Abraham and Isaac of what he's ultimately going to do on the cross. There's one big difference, though. God carries out the sacrifice that Abraham was given a substitute for. 
for just a second, remember what it was like to think about actually giving a sacrifice of your son. What would it be like? God considered that, and he went through with it for you. The love that God has for you to take his son, his only son, whom he loves, and offer him as a lamb. Do you notice that Abraham says, God will provide for himself a lamb? And God provided for Abraham a ram. But 2,000 years later, God provides for himself a lamb in Jesus. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has a punishment, and that is death, both a physical death, but more importantly, a spiritual death, a separation from the living God. And there, that punishment is death. Someone has to die for your sin. And it can be you. Or there can be a substitute. Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for our sin. In 1 John 4, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. I wish that I could accurately describe God's love for you. I can't, except to say, look to the cross. Look at what Jesus did. That God gave his only son that we might not perish but have eternal life, a relationship with him. That Jesus was that lamb, that substitute. Like Isaac, we all deserve that knife, but instead of death, there's a lamb who is slain on our behalf. And by his blood, unlike the sacrifices of the Old Testament where the blood covers sin, Jesus and his sacrifice takes the sin of the world away. And if you believe in him, you can have a relationship with him, eternal life. That's life now and for eternity. And so, will you trust him with your life? Now, and for eternity. Will you jump? And I want, I want to ask this in both the sense of your eternal destination, but also in the sense of the dreams and hopes and trials and anything that you have in your life right now. Will you lay it at the feet of Jesus? Will you put it on the altar and trust him with it? We are called to be a people who remember? If you, if you go through like the Old Testament, you'll notice that God asks the people to remember a lot. He has them do festivals. He has them put up stones and altars and wells and like names, cities. There's lots of remembrances all throughout the Bible. God calls his people to remember, to remember, to remember. What and why? To remember who he is and what he's done. Why? Because just like Abraham, we do not have a faith that's blind. We are not, God's not saying, just jump He's saying, trust me. Remember who I am, what I've done throughout history and in your life. And with this next thing, 
As big, as difficult, and as confusing as it might be, trust me with it. So will we? Will we be a people, Friendship Church, who trust the Lord, who jump when he says jump? Because he is faithful, and he's worth it. Uh, Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, help us. Help us to trust you and to jump when you ask. Again, not because it's some blind faith, but Lord, truly, because we know who you are. We know that you are faithful. We know that you come through. We know that your plans are better than ours. As much as I might think I have life figured out, I know that I don't. And so, God, I pray that I would trust you with every little and every big thing in my life. Help me to lay on the altar my very life. May you have it all. Help us to be a people that trust you. May our story be like Abraham, a testament to those around us of faith and of trust, but ultimately of your great power, of your great faithfulness and of your goodness. May we be a living testament to that. We love you so much. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Right now, we're going to go into a time of worship through communion, which I think is just the best way to respond to this passage. This passage points us to the cross, and it 